The following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Invited us to come to this church. We were going to different churches as uh, first-time missionaries when we came here six months ago. And uh, one of our ladies uh, we saw uh, at the uh, Big C market, and she invited us to come here. And ever since I came here for the first time, I was very impressed with this community and wanted to be part of this community. And so thank you so much for being here and allowing us to be your family. When I was 10 years old, I uh, moved from Korea to America, uh, South Korea. These days I had to uh, classify where I come from, not North, uh, but South Korea. And I moved to America in the Chicagoland area. And for 32 years that I lived in America, I attended a church that was primarily uh, Asian. Mostly Korean, but primarily Asian. And then I uh, moved back uh, to Asia, and this time to Thailand, uh, last uh, summer. And I'm attending a church which is uh, predominantly Asian. No, I'm just kidding. Caucasian in nature. And it's kind of funny that only God could orchestrate something like that. And uh, I am uh, glad to be part of this community let me read to you the text for this morning, and it's John chapter 5, verse 1 through 15. It says, Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five colored colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been, one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a very long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is a Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who he was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that he was Jesus who had made him well. I hope and pray that I could encourage you with these words. And sometimes uh, it is harder to 
preach to the choir. Uh, I know that you are mostly missionaries, and, and I've been thinking about what to say to you for a very long time, and uh, I want to encourage you with these words this morning. Let me uh, pray before we get started. Gracious Father, we just ask that the, the cross may always shine, and that it will be you who is exalted this day. And whatever is said and done, it will be all done in glory of your name. And that Jesus, the name above all names, will be exalted. And that through this text, they will be all encouraged to live a life of faith and to follow you in the life of discipleship. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In Jerusalem, uh, during one of the feasts, Jews from all over gathered there for celebration. But our story takes Jesus away from this feast to a little opening in the northeast corner of the city wall. This opening is called the Sheep Gate, which is appropriately named because the sacrificial sheep entered the temple through this gate. And near this gate was the Pool of Bethesda. This pool was discovered in 1956, and we now know that it, is, it was a little bigger than the size of a football field in the shape of a trapezoid. So imagine a football field with one end zone a little bit wider than the other one. During festival times, thousands of disabled people, some with their attendants, and many spectators surrounded the pool. Many disabled people were there to beg for charity, but many others were there with hopes of being healed of their disability. Some of you might have noticed that there is no verse 4 in the NIV Bible. New King James Version has verse 4, and he says, For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Earliest manuscripts of our Bible did not have verse 4. Many believe that some scribes who were aware of the traditions and superstitions added it to make sense of verse 7, which states, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. It's obvious that during this time period, there was a belief or superstition then on an occasion, an angel will come and stir the waters, and then the first person who entered the pool will be healed from their disability. I pause to wonder how this place looked like in person. A place of hopelessness, a place of desperation, and a place of chaos, especially when the water was stirred. Imagine playing musical chair with thousands of people, but with only one chair. I can imagine how chaotic this place was. To this place, Jesus goes and picks one person, just one person out of the multitude of disabled people, a person who had been lame for 38 years, and asks him this surprising question, Do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? At first, it sounds like a ridiculous question. You simply do not ask questions like this. 
You don't ask a person on the side of the road, leaning under the hood of his smoky car, Hey, is there something wrong with your car? You are liable to hear something very sarcastic, like, No, I'm just here hugging my engine. <laughs> or something far worse. As such, we don't go to the hospital and stand next to a bed of a sick person and ask, Do you want to get well? This question can be per- perplexing, but there's a story that helped me understand and get a grasp on this. On March 4, 2009, Robert Space and his nine other colleagues at Chubb Insurance Company won the second largest single-ticket jackpot in New Jersey history, winning $216 million in the Mega Millions jackpot. One regular buyer, his name was Oscar Oviedo, he asked Robert to count him in and promise $5 for his share. The day after they had won, Robert rushed over to him early Wednesday morning and demanded the money, $5. I thought, how rude, Oscar said with a laugh. He was recalling how he handed over the $5, unsure why Robert was being so insistent. Then Robert said, Okay, thanks. You are a millionaire. This question might seem ridiculous or just outright rude if we are only asking the question. But if you are at a position and have the authority to offer what they desire, it doesn't seem that rude anymore. Right? I believe Jesus is asking this question to all of us this morning. Do you want to be well? I believe this is a spiritual question as much as it was a physical question. You see, we hear the promises of God, and at first our hearts are stirred and warmed, and we respond to Jesus. But then we hear the promises again, and we again want to be warmed. This cycle continues in our life, But sometimes, nothing ever seems to happen. The question is, why? I think because although we think and say we want to be healed, in our heart of hearts, we really do not. For this lame person, after 38 years of such living, which entailed begging and living off on the generosity of others, If he had indeed been healed, his life would take on a larger responsibilities. His life that he knew it would change overnight. He might actually have to work for a living and carry the burden of having such responsibilities. Blase Pascal said, Men often mistake the imagination for the heart, and they believe they are converted as soon as they think of being converted. In other words, the thought of being converted is what many imagine to be conversion. Pascal believed this because Christ and what he offers looks so good from a distance. And yet, when we look at it closely, it may appear much too difficult and not so appealing. And we all know 
that Jesus as Lord is very demanding of his followers. In my experience, I have seen people attend church, listen to the gospel message, join small groups, serve in committees, even go on mission trips. But when they realize the true demands of the gospel message, many get discouraged and even few leave the church. I have many non-Christian friends who love what I do but will not step into the church or read the Bible because they know the demands of God and do not wish to change their lives. Last week, I hosted a mission team from my home church in Chicago. Twelve of them came and visited me and ministries that I'm involved in. And uh, one lady, uh, she came to me and said, I had a very difficult time coming out of here because I really did not want to come, but I was encouraged to come. And I said, why? Don't you want to see me and, and uh, be a part of this community once again? She said, yes, I really wanted to come, but I was afraid that I would like it. I was afraid that I would like it and God may demand me to come out on mission field. Many of us do not get deeper into the truths of God because we truly do not want to work out our issues of control, issues of lifestyle, our selfishness and pride, and other issues of bitterness, unresolved conflicts, and many more things like that that lie hidden within us. But then we want to feel God's power and know the authentic grace that frees us and gives us peace. One commentator writes, Spiritually, all of us have found ourselves in this kind of predicament. We find, find ourselves paralyzed at times, unable to do what we know we ought to do and want to do. We may feel stuck where we are. We get paralyzed spiritually and emotionally. We get stuck in sinful habits. We just can't seem to take the next step God is asking us to take. We know something is wrong. We know things aren't right. But we are not sure that things will ever be any better. And deep down, we may not be sure that we want them to be better. And deep down, we may not be sure that we want them to be better. Do you want to get better? Do you really want to get better? Do you want to grow in your spiritual walk and add on to your lives responsibilities that come along with it? That is the question before all of us this morning. And as we study the life of Jesus in this chapter, I believe we can learn three principles which will allow us to become more like Jesus and grow. The first principle is this, to have compassion for the loss, even if that leads us to uncomfortable places. To have compassion for the lost, even if that means we have to go to different and difficult places. At a festival time, when others are enjoying the celebration, we find Jesus among the multitude of blind lame, and other disabled people. 
We know that he doesn't have to be here, but that is where we find him in our story. I believe at the heart of our text this morning is the compassion of Jesus. It was his compassion for the laws that led him to this world through the sheep gate. It was his compassion for the weak and destitute that led him to this pool of Bethesda. From this example, we can safely conclude that one critical element in the life of following Jesus is this very element of compassion. Compassion for the lost and the weary. But the reality is, we are exposed to suffering, famine, disaster, depravity, almost on a daily basis. And constant exposure to these things make us tired. And perhaps our compassion seems to dry up. And, but we are called to exercise it again and again. And with no seeming change in the nature of the news and our surrounding. And it is very easy for us to harden our hearts a little and generalize about evil and suffering than to weep over it and to do much about it. And anyone who has been engaged in extensive public ministry knows that emotional burnout is a great danger. When it takes place, genuine ministry is traded for mere professionalism, and we become more mechanical and less compassionate. Jesus faced the same or even greater pressure. But we are told that he went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. This kind of pressure was at least part of the reason why, on many occasions, Jesus felt it necessary to withdraw from the crowds and attempt to escape to a solitary place. Jesus recognized the need for rest in his ministry. However, Jesus' plans were often frustrated when people found out where he was headed and went there even before he arrived there. Regardless of his physical fatigue or emotional strain, Jesus' basic stance toward the vast number of people who pressed in on him was that of compassion. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. That's what the scripture writes. And we are asked to follow in his steps. Indeed, this is hard teaching. And yes, we are encouraged to take our rest, but our priorities must be changed. The world may see vacations as end or purpose of work, and sadly, sometimes even of life itself. Their work earns a holiday. They then deserve a vacation. By contrast, Jesus says and acts through his life that ministry of all kinds is the end, the purpose, and the holidays are simply a means to that end. We don't serve in order to earn a rest. We take rest now so that we can serve better. This means that if a planned rest doesn't work out just as we had expected, 
and ministry intervenes, we cannot be frustrated or bitterly disappointed. Our times are in the, in the hands of our Father. And rest can be delayed a little if there is a need for urgent ministry. In other words, compassion in ministry is not so much the characteristic of a certain type of personality, but that compassion is a characteristic of a person with God-given priorities. Compassion is a character of a person with God-given priorities. What is our priority this morning? I pray that compassion is one of them. The compassion for the lost and the weary is one of them. The second principle that I find here is to be faithful in our service even if there are no visible rewards. To be faithful in our service even if there are no visible rewards. I don't know why Jesus picked this man out of many disabled people in this story. I was trying to figure out if there are any special qualities about this man, like faith, like boldness, like hope, anything to justify his healing. I wanted to find something because it would make sense and make my life much easier. But the reality of our story is that the Bible is silent. It doesn't tell us. There is no evidence that this lame person displayed any faith or repentance. In fact, evidence shows an ungrateful person. When asked if he wanted to be healed, he couldn't even give a straight answer. Later on in our story, when the Pharisees asked why he was carrying his mat, which was an unlawful thing to do on Sabbath, he blamed it on Jesus, but didn't even know his name. Further along the story, when Jesus meets him in the temple and identifies himself to him, this person goes off and tells the authorities that it was Jesus who made him well. Not only is he ungrateful, he seems to betray Jesus. But yet, Jesus picks him heals him, and even seeks him out at the temple and teaches him not to sin. And we are asked to follow in his steps. This is also hard teaching, isn't it? Jesus teaches us that doing what is right does not always result in a righteous or rewarding response. Doing what is right is always the right thing to do. Doing what is right may very well produce a favorable response, but we also must remember Jesus' word that if men rejected and persecuted him, they will certainly do so to us. If our Lord's good deeds resulted in betrayal by the recipient of a supernatural healing and persecution by the Jewish religious leaders, let us also expect that our good deeds may also produce unpleasant responses. Like our Lord, we must serve out of the depths of the love God has given us for others, regardless of whether that love is reciprocated or rewarded by those whom we serve. 
Some of you might find yourself this morning in that very situation. You might be in a relationship with your spouse, your parents, your children, your friends, or any other, any other person, ministry partners, where God is telling you to continue to carry the cross and take on their burdens. They might be ungrateful and rude and very demanding, but regardless of their behavior and with no guarantee of positive results, if God has placed his burden upon your hearts, Jesus teaches us that we must be obedient. Regardless of our outcome, regardless of our situation, he's asking us to follow him in obedience. My wife and I, we often have discussions about adoption. We are still praying through that right now. And one of the risks we discuss is about how some children who are adopted turn out bad. And there are many examples of that in in movies, like The Orphan. Uh, (laughs) And sometimes we talk about examples of very positive adoptions. Dante Culpepper is a such story. Emma Culpepper adopted Dante when she was 62 years old. She had already raised 14 other children. She was such a loving influence on Dante Culpepper that he loved and adored her. And when he, was, when he turned 22 and got drafted by the Minnesota Vikings, the first thing he did was to buy Emma a brand new house. The question is, who not do uh, adoption if you knew the results? I think the issue is not about if the adoption, adopted children will turn out good or bad. The real issue of our hearts right now is God calling you to adopt and are you obedient? And that's something that our family is going through right now. And maybe you can pray for us in that way. And the third uh, thing that we see here in this text is to seek and follow the truth of God over traditions of men. To seek and follow the truth of God over traditions of men. Verse 9 ends with this statement. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. If we go on to the next verse, verse 10, he says, And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is a Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. They missed the miracle of this healing because they were focused on their law. And it wasn't even God's law. To honor Sabbath and not to accidentally work on the Sabbath, the rabbis at this time instituted 39 Sabbath rules called Mishnah. The last of these 39 rabbinical rules was the one that this man was accused of breaking. Let me first say that there is no Old Testament law that says, Thou shalt not carry your mat on Sabbath or anything near that. The spirit in which these 39 rules were instituted was honorable, but by focusing on them, 
they missed the person and the authority which Sabbath was to honor. The fourth commandment requires the people of God to imitate God who rested on the seventh day of creation. The logic is simple. God rested on the seventh day and so must men. But Jesus gives us a very different twist on this. He says and he argues that God is constantly at work, even on the Sabbath. God is working to maintain His creation to bring about His plan and purposes. And since God is working nonstop to do good, the Son is also working to do good and cannot cease just because it was a Sabbath. And we see this argument play out in Matthew chapter 12, verse 11 to 12. And when Jesus said to them, If any of you has a sheep and he falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. What traditions do we uphold which limits us from following Jesus and doing good? I believe there are cultural things and traditions in our lives that we carry in our lives this day that might be contrary to the biblical principles. One of the greatest internal struggles I had, I had to go through before coming out of mission field was leaving my parents behind. Especially in their old age and they're getting sick. I felt this enormous guilt because somehow it was ingrained in me that I had to take care of my parents in their old age. I believe this in part cultural. But I believe also it was more so about my upbringing. The dysfunctions in my family became our family traditions. And being loyal to my mom especially took center stage in our family. What my mom said and thought had become more important than God. Another way to put it is this. I really believed that honoring my parents, especially my mom in this dysfunctional way, was indeed honoring to God. I knew Jesus came to break every traditions and cultures that stood in his way, but I didn't think it applied to my mom. It took a community of believers at my home church in Chicago to guide me and to affirm me in our call to the mission field. I know this to be true in many of your lives. I talk to many people and lots of people tell me that there are traditions and bondages in their life that they cannot simply let go. And we cannot grow because we cannot let go. Do you want to be well? This is a very loaded question. It may as well involve showing compassion when you have nothing in your tank. 
It may also involve living in faith even when there are no visible changes or rewards. It may also involve looking deeper into our lives, not only to identify, but also to uproot any ideas or traditions or sins which we live with all our lives, but stands in direct contrast to following Jesus. Do you want to be well? I pray all of you will answer yes to this question this morning. Let's pray. Gracious Father, thank you for sending Jesus onto this world to show us the way we should live our lives. We know that we are not there yet. We know we are constantly at work to try to become more like Jesus in our lives and to follow him in his examples. But sometimes there are many things that get in our way. Help us, Father, and give us a community and your word and your examples and your Holy Spirit that will empower us to take the next step. When we are given this question, do you want to be well? And know the implications of what that really means. Allow us to take on the added responsibilities gladly to follow you, to become more like you, and to walk in your way. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.